We'll begin again this evening in verse 10, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. Brethren, let us hear God's holy word. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, And in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But the woman that feareth the Lord... She shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Amen. May the Lord be pleased to bless this word to our hearts this evening. Now the Holy Spirit tells us that the value of a virtuous woman is far above rubies. And why is this so? Because her husband can trust her. Because she will do him good all the days of her life. And not only so, but her character is a multicolored rainbow of Christ-honoring virtues. Therefore, we may conclude from the text before us that the extraordinary, the exceedingly high value of a virtuous woman is discovered in two things. Number one, what she is. And number two, what she does. And as we find consistently throughout the Scripture, she does what she does because she is what she is. Her life externally flows from what she is internally. So we take up once again 
The subject of the value of the virtuous woman. Our title is, once again, Her Price is Far Above Rubies. This is the second part of this. And it is likely we'll have even yet another part. We began last week looking at the first of three heads. And we take up that head again, which is a virtuous woman is priceless because of what she is. A virtuous woman is priceless because of what she is. Now, as we observed in our last study together, the book of Job declares that the price of wisdom is above rubies. Uh, Proverbs 8.11 tells us, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. Proverbs 20.15 adds, There is gold and multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. So when we consider the importance of wisdom in Proverbs, we begin to see the extremely high premium Scripture sets upon a virtuous woman. As we'll even see this evening, wisdom is often personified as a woman. So the phrase, far above rubies, teaches us that virtuous women are in a category of the most valuable treasures both in Scripture and obviously then because of or, or, or also in life. <clears throat> now, we began last week with a definition of woman. Uh, we attempted to define the word from both the original languages and uh, authoritative, authoritative dictionaries. What is a woman? And we found that the dictionaries and lexicons are basically in agreement that a woman is the female of the human race grown to adult years. A not especially overwhelming uh, definition in its profundity on one hand. We also know that one thing is obvious. Finding a female of the human race who has grown to her adult years is not difficult. It's easy to do. It is one of the most common and obvious realities of life. Can't go anywhere without ultimately encountering a woman. Even today in penitentiaries where they keep just men you will find women officers. This is a travesty that we won't go into this evening. <clears throat> the challenge, as we said last week, is in the adjective virtuous. Finding a virtuous adult female is one of the great searches in all of life. So, <clears throat> that then brought us to consider the fact that obviously all adult females are not virtuous. 
Why is that? What's the reason? And that took us to the opening chapters of Genesis. We looked at the creation of woman. And our reading of Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28 brought us to conclude at least these seven things. Number one, woman is not an evolved being, but a creature made in the image of Almighty God. Secondly, woman is not male, but female. That is, she is a creature with a distinct gender. Number three, woman is created blessed of God for accomplishing His eternal purpose, which is dominion over the earth. Number four, woman is a creature blessed of God in her sexuality and fertility. Number five, woman was declared very good by God. Number six, woman is to bear children. And number seven, woman is to rule with man over the earth. And in that capacity, she is to be a help to man. A help in accomplishing the purpose of God. A question was raised last week after the message, and I want to just address it quickly, when I said that woman is to bear children, number six uh, in our list, then was a woman who didn't bear children sinning. And of course the answer is, if she's doing everything that she can not to bear children in direct opposition to the command of God, when she is in the proper context for bearing children, which is marriage, well then of course she would be sinning. If she is not, now hear those words, if she is in the proper context for bearing children, there are women that are single. That are women, there are women who are not married. And of course, they're not sinning at all in not having children. There are women who are past the age. There are women who are infertile. There are any number of right and biblical reasons why a woman might not bear. There may be health reasons. She might be in danger, a genuine danger, uh, were she to bear children. So, of course, there are many reasons why someone, uh, a woman who is not bearing children, uh, would be perfectly in harmony with her role as a woman. I'm speaking in a general sense. Now, on the other hand, there are those today who do everything they can to prevent children. When we have a book, which in the very first chapter tells us to be fruitful and multiply. And therefore, those who, in rebellion against the clear teaching of God, who do everything they can to prevent the blessing of God in children, uh, then they fall within the... Uh, the boundaries of those who are sinning against the Lord. Hear me one more time. A clear, decided rebellion against what the Scriptures teach. As I said, there are many, many reasons biblically why a woman might not bear. 
and therefore <clears throat> uh, would not at all and should not be uh, considered as sinning, nor as a somehow a second-class citizen. But we do want to recognize that the Scripture, when we read it, not through the eyes of of uh, 21st century and 20th century pri- child prevention, which we've all been uh, brought up on, when we read the Scripture, there were women who were desperate to have children. Why? Because it was the command of God. And it was a fulfillment of what they were made to be. And they pleaded with God. We'll see an example of that tonight. For children. There were even uh, wrestlings among wives uh, to have more children than the other one. As in the case of Jacob and his wives and concubines. Why, was, why were those scenarios going on? Because the promise of God is attached to bearing children. So, we need to get out of our false, rebellious notions about preventing children fed to us, fed to us by God-haters and secular thinkers And we need to walk according to the pattern of the Word of God in wisdom and in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll press on from there. So I trust that's clear. I hope you recognize that when I say that that one of the things we see in that list about women, uh, that women are to bear children, is this is the general, the general sense and uh, the general characteristic of women, while there are many uh, reasons why some do not. And they are not to be considered as sinners, nor second-class Christians, <clears throat> second-class citizens. All right, we, after looking at uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, we looked at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25 which says, and they were both naked, the, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. It's, it's a lengthy passage. I won't read all of it, but it concludes with that. And it speaks very plainly about the creation of woman. And uh, we concluded two more things from that particular passage. Of course, many more could have been uh, uh, brought out, but we just looked at two. And that is, one, woman is created in the image of God but is a special creature of God. The, the, the animals and man were made out of the dust of the ground. But woman was made from the side of man. She is unique among the creations of Almighty God. And that needs to be recognized and honored. Secondly, woman was made and designed by God to be man's help. To be man's help or helper. Woman, therefore, has a unique and holy origin. Listen carefully. Women have unique and holy origin. Secondly, they have a distinct and righteous Purpose. 
And finally, they have the very blessing of God for their work. Ladies, you have an exalted position among the creations of Almighty God. Men need to see that. They're not to hold you up as idols to be worshipped, but they are to recognize your uniqueness to learn and understand it according to the Word of God and to bless and encourage and provide and protect for the women in your life. Now that brings us to Genesis chapter 3 because when we see all of these extraordinary things, our first conclusion ought to be that all women ought to be virtuous. When we read those two passages, women have everything going for them. They're unique. They have an extraordinary origin. Uh, they, it is holy because they're created in the image of God. They have a distinct and a righteous purpose to take dominion with man over the earth. They, in fact, have a realm of rule. We'll talk about that later in some of our other studies. But ladies, you were not made um, in your submission only to be those who submit. Your submission is a very important thing, which we'll talk about. Nevertheless, in God's wise providence, you have a realm of rule, a responsibility, an authority delegated to you by God under your husband, which you are to wield with biblical wisdom and in the power of the Holy Ghost. We'll bring all these things out in other studies. But this is important. And finally, on top of all of this, ladies, you had the blessing of God. You were pronounced not only good, but very good. An extraordinary creation of God. Nothing like woman. That's why Adam burst out in, in poetry. Let's go to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. could really spend a great deal of time here, and, and, I, and I don't think in this study that we're doing presently we, we really have the time to do that. Maybe another time. But suffice it to say, that as I pointed out last week, as we begin in verse 15, the Lord took the man, put him in the garden to dress and to keep it, which means to guard it. <clears throat> the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. All right, you can eat. Whatever you would like, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then he said, it's not good that man should be alone. And out of every, uh, or out of the ground, he formed every beast of the field. And uh, Adam named all of them. Now, what's the purpose of this? Well, the feminists hate the fact that Adam had the authority to name. If you read a lot of the feminist literature, which I don't recommend, they, uh, they're furious over the fact that Adam got to name everything. He even named woman. Now, why are they so angry about that? Because it points to authority. That's why. 
That's exactly why. Adam is beginning his work of dominion. Eve has not been created yet, and so he names all of creation. He is fulfilling what has been said in Genesis 1. And he is beginning to take dominion by naming the animals. That's an authoritative act. And he names woman. I say, you know, we read the Bible and just go, okay, let's see, I guess Genesis 3 is next. The feminists go, we see what's going on here. Sometimes they read the Bible better than we do. They say, the man's got the authority. He's the one naming everybody here. Women ought to be able to name. They fight for that. You really, <laughs> I may quote some of the literature to you here and there as we go through this. But they clearly understand what's being said here. Listen, brethren, many, many, many times to our shame, the enemies of our faith understand the Word of God better than we do. We're barely keeping our heads up and our, and our minds awake while we're reading it. They're scouring it and doing everything they can to fight against it. Because they understand much of what is being said here. So, here we have God bringing uh, uh, all of the, uh, the animals, parading all of these glorious, beautiful creatures uh, before sin comes into things and uh, changes uh, all of history. After he goes through all of that, it says that the help for man is not found. That is to teach us that there's something extremely special about woman. It isn't simply a nice history lesson. It isn't simply a nice anti-feminist passage that Adam sits here and names the animals. He names the animals. He finishes the job. But the help that he needs is not there. The elephants, the giraffes, the beautiful birds, even dogs aren't man's best friend. They don't, or Adam does not find the help that he needs from the animal kingdom. Now, this is not to depreciate animals. They simply are not made in the image of God. And they cannot, and they should not, fulfill the place that men and women are to fill in each other's lives. So what we have here is the parade of the non-helpers. Adam is now keenly aware that after looking at all these wonderful creatures, beautiful creatures, that there isn't the help that he needs. And then it says, And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, something from man himself. It wasn't the dirt of the ground. She wasn't made out of some other substance. Out of man himself. Woman is made. And then God brings her to the man. And he's overjoyed. He doesn't go, eh, I kind of like the lions better. He doesn't look 
at the woman and go, yeah, she's all right, but uh, I think I'm going to create football so that I can have some excitement in my life. All right? He looks at the woman and he's overwhelmed because God knew what he needed. And God created exactly what Adam needed to complete him emotionally and physically to walk with him spiritually and to fulfill the purpose of God. The rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Do you see that he's... This isn't just interesting language. Wow, the Hebrews said things very strangely. You know, this is a... The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. What we have here, I guess, is just an example of odd Hebrew poetry. <laughs> no, the, what we have here is Adam seeing the beauty of what woman is, the glory of what woman is, and the value because she comes from him. There's a closeness. There's a knitting together immediately. This is now bone of my bones. I've got a wound here in my side. I'm healed up. But the Lord took something of me and made something as precious as me for me. And flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He names her. This creation of God is special. He recognizes it. Yep, the giraffe, interesting animal, out of the ground. The buffalo over here that I've named, if that happened to be among the creatures there in the garden, out of the ground, just like me. But Eve, the woman, she's made out of me. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her woman because she is taken out of me. There's a oneness here, brethren. Look what it goes on to say. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Why is there such a thing as marriage? Why does that institution exist? Well, all I have to do is go to government school to find out. They'll tell you. It's just a legal relationship of convenience. And it doesn't really matter who it's with. They're doing everything they can to make it legal for you to have this legal relationship with anybody or anything. We could, of course, come to the Word of God and find the truth that marriage is an institution that is sacred. Marriage is not some legal relationship that the state allows to exist. It is the foundational relationship in all of life and society. God 
Himself instituted it, and it is holy. Man, therefore it says, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. You see, the therefore connects us to what, what took place in the verse ahead of that. And what do we have there? Adam's joy. Adam's excitement. He sees the woman. He's thrilled with the woman. He breaks out into poetry over the woman. And he wants her. Now here's my help. And for that very reason, men and women, to this very hour, enter into the relationship we call marriage. Whether they recognize it or not, it's God's holy institution. We do not agree with Rome that it is a sacrament. But we do believe that it is a holy and a sacred institution because man and woman are created in the image of God and their oneness together was ordained and blessed by Him. And that is why Satan will do everything he can to destroy it. As we will see later in our studies, that very one flesh union of a man leaving his mother and father and cleaving to his wife is a picture of the very gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the very story of redemption in the most simple and obvious and common relationship on the earth, man and woman. Woman holds a unique and a special place in the history of the world and in the sovereign purpose of Almighty God. And men, you need to recognize it. They're not here just to wash your clothes and pick up after you. Your wife is not your new mother. <clears throat> I hate to admit, I remember speaking to a man once we were talking about the issue of marriage and I was talking about uh, the fact that I enjoyed cooking but I didn't didn't get to do it much anymore because I, I don't really have time and uh, we were we were talking about just some of the domestic things that take place in a house the cleaning and all those types of things and he looked and just smugly said that's why I have a wife now that's what a lot of men think that's the only thing they think wow let's see hmm I'm lonesome, my socks are dirty, and I'm hungry. I need to get married. Our brethren, it is far deeper than that. Loneliness is not good. God Himself said so. So the idea of marriage to alleviate Loneliness is certainly right, but that's not all there is. This is a sacred institution for fulfilling God's purpose. And when we see it in that light, it takes a completely different perspective. It is holy, and we will answer to God for our handling of that institution. So, 
that was where we left off last week. A man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And that brings us then <clears throat> to ponder if, if everything started so wonderfully, so beautifully, why is it such a challenge now to find a virtuous woman? If Adam was overwhelmed and thrilled with woman, if God said she was very good, why is a virtuous woman so hard to find? And the answer is in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Now, of course, this is one of the pivotal passages in all the Bible. We could do a series of messages simply on these few verses. Tonight, we can only do a very, very quick bird's eye view, a survey, so to speak, of some of the important points that are especially uh, related to this subject that we are considering. And we want to think of these four things when we consider this passage for our present purposes. Number one, Satan used language to seduce woman with false religion. There was only one religion prior to chapter 3, and that was the religion of the Most High. God had spoken to Adam the head. Now, Satan speaks to man's help. He goes after man by going after his help. God had used words to instruct the man. Satan used words to deceive the woman. Satan used language to seduce the woman with false religion. And unfortunately today, 
part of that fall is still with women. That they are easily seduced with words. Now, I'm not implying that men cannot be seduced. The scriptures make that very clear. Certainly they can be. And I'm not implying that women are in some way inferior to men because of that. But the fact remains, women can be plied with words, and it's astonishing how they can be applied, apply, how they can be plied with religious words. Many of the cults and many of the religions of the world were begun by women. Jehovah's Witnesses were begun essentially by the woman of the man who gets the credit. She was the one that introduced her husband, Charles Taze Russell, who started the Dawn Bible Students and then ultimately became the Jehovah's Witnesses. She, was, she had been strongly influenced by Seventh-day Adventist teaching. And she instructed her husband and her husband took it and ran with it and became the leader of the, the, the cult that we presently know as Jehovah's Witnesses. And there are many others. Mary Baker Eddy was the founder of Christian Science. Uh, there were several women involved in the beginning of what we call New Thought and New Age thinking and Theosophy. Annie Besant and others now, does this mean men can't start a good old-fashioned false religion? Well, of course they can. But this is a theme that's found throughout the Scripture, brother. And this is one of the reasons it's important to us. Satan went after the woman, and he deceived her, confused her, and seduced her with words. And we will see that in other places of the Scripture. And we find that it is one of Satan's extremely effective weapons against men. Stop and think. Oh, well, I, I'm jump, jumping ahead of myself. We'll, we'll press on and we'll, we'll take this thought up again. Secondly, woman needs her head to protect her with God's word. We see that in this passage. God gave his word to Adam before Eve was created. Does this mean that women cannot understand the word? No. It means that man was given the responsibility of protecting his home with the word. That is why family worship is vital. God gave man the word to protect the garden to protect his beloved bride. And had he protected his wife, it would have been a different story. But she was deceived and he followed her into error. It needs to be the other way around. We need godly men who will, in their in their strength before God, preserve and protect their beloved wives with God's word. Thirdly, women can be seduced not only by words, but through their senses. Notice what it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Mm, 
eyes, taste, sight, taste, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She was drawn. Those blessed senses that God gave her to exalt and honor Him were perverted by the deceitful lies of the enemy. And her eyes were taken off not only the Word of God, but off of what her husband had taught her. He was the one clearly responsible for her knowledge of the Word of God here. It's very plain. There was no one else in the garden. God spoke His Word to Adam. Uh, Adam is the one responsible for Eve's being taught what God had said. Fourthly, because of her exalted position, woman has the ability to draw her head away from God's Word and into false religion. We have it right here. God said, In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That was truth. And that was the religion of the day. You can eat of everything. That eating was a religious act. It was an act of obedience. It was an act of pleasure. But it was religious. It was commanded of God. And there was a penalty attached to it and responsibility. The woman knew the responsibility. There's a great deal of argument as to what she really understood and didn't understand because there is an added line where it says that uh, we're not only not supposed to eat of it, but we're not supposed to touch it either. I'm not going to enter into those waters for our present discussion. Only to say this. The woman was deceived, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy. Adam was not. He had been taught the Word of God directly by God Himself. And when he saw his wife, the bone of his bone, the flesh of his flesh, the one taken out of him, go in a wrong direction. Instead of rescuing her in the Word of God, he followed her. He threw away his headship. He threw away the Word of God for a false religion. Satan said, you're not going to die. As a matter of fact, you're going to be like God. You're going to be like God. Apparently, Eve really believed that. Paul says she was deceived. Adam went straight into the sin. Now, brethren, that is an unfortunate scene played out all through Scripture where men completely throw away the position that God has given them and follow their wives into error. Does this mean that every woman is bad? No. Does this mean that any time a wife suggests something to her husband that it's wrong, sinful, and an attempt to take over his headship? Not at all. We will see in later studies there are places when men, you should listen to your wives. But not when it comes to disobeying the Word of God. Think of 
Abraham. He had a promise from God and he thanked the Lord for it. And yet he got impatient. And his wife made him a recommendation that later caused him the great, greatest grief. Well, here's uh, my handmaid Hagar. You take her instead of me. Obviously, I'm too old to have a child. Uh, God's made the promise. Fine, we believe the promise, but uh, it can't be me. It's got to be this younger woman here. Take this younger woman. She obviously will be able to have children. And that was a very, very grievous decision. Think of the wisest man who ever lived. The Lord Jesus said Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. But read in the book of Kings the absolutely tragic verses that say, in his older age, he married. He had married too many women against what God had told him. And it says, his wives led him away to false gods. How did Satan attempt to bring down Israel at other times? By seducing the men with the Moabite women and other women. The Lord said, don't marry women outside of my people because those women will bring you into the worship of false gods. But then it began right here. Men, you need to know the Word of God and you need to guide your home according to it. If you don't, I will tell you plainly, you are in rebellion against God. You're not just making a mistake. It's a mistake, all right. But you're in rebellion against the living God. You've been given the word to guide and to protect your home. That beloved one needs to be guided by the word of God under your headship, feeble as it may be. So, these are some important thoughts that we see played out all through the Scriptures. And they often show up in relationship to women. That brings us then to the character of women. And it looks like I'm out of time already. Let me give us a bird's eye view and we'll take this up again, God willing, next week. As I said, we'll probably have a third portion of this, maybe even more than that. But it's because these are the foundational studies. Uh, and like our studies in manhood, uh, these are somewhat loosely structured. They're not uh, intended to be uh, extremely developed sermons. But they are studies in what the Word of God points us to here. And, and this is what we want to consider as we close this evening. We have considered together the, the, the origin of women, the, de- the definition of, of women and the origin of women. And we want to consider the character of women, which we'll take up, God willing, next week in some detail. But first and foremost, women were created good, as we've already said. Very good. Pronounced by God Himself. And I will say to you, and then take up again next week, that being created in the image of God is a vitally important notion to grasp. Ladies, you must get a hold of this. You must get a hold of this. Because women are created in God's image, you have a distinctive role in the eternal purpose of God and therefore history. 
You're vitally important. And throughout the the Old and the New Testament, we see women of good character. And they're mentioned. They are preserved for us. We're not even going to get close to all of the the good, good women, so to speak, that we find. The virtuous women that are there. Deborah, Hannah, Abigail, Jael, Rahab, who was a harlot. And yet by faith, brought to the living God. And preserved for us as a woman of faith in the annals of Scripture. Esther, Tabitha, Priscilla, Mary, the mother of our beloved Lord. And Mary Magdalene, once again, a woman of of wicked, wicked, wicked prostitution. And yet brought to a saving, glorious knowledge of the living Christ. Unfortunately, we also see a very long list of evil women. And we can't go through all of those. But Lot's wife, Potiphar's wife, Delilah, certain names that stay with us that we don't name our children. Very few of us would name our daughters Delilah or Jezebel. When we go looking for a name for our daughters, Jezebel is not on the list. Right? Think of, the, of the, the wicked associations we make with some of these names. The witch at Endor, Maaka, Athalia, Gomer, Zeresh, Herodias. Oh boy, when we read about her, how cruel she was. So, there are lists throughout Scripture of virtuous women. And there are women that are of unspeakable evil. We'll see some acts that are absolutely breathtaking in their wickedness. Wisdom, however, wisdom is personified by a woman. Proverbs chapter 9. We'll look at that. Yet in the very same chapter, foolishness is personified by a woman. The very mother of of the Lord Jesus Christ is praised by both angel and uh, human beings. Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. What an extraordinary thing. Mary was an exceptional woman. A virtuous woman. And yet, brethren, what is the symbol of of the false religion of the book of Revelation and of the very religion of Antichrist. A woman. The prostitute that rides the beast. I don't know about you, but that's overwhelming to me. Ladies, you represent the very most beautiful things in Scripture, and yet among the most wicked. The very religion of Antichrist itself. What are we to make of this? That a virtuous woman is hard to find. A virtuous woman is hard to find. 
How do we find them? Where do we find them? What do we look for? Well, Proverbs is giving us examples all through Proverbs 31 of what a virtuous woman is. We started this by saying that we are looking at what a virtuous woman is. She's priceless because of what she is. And brethren, the very key verse to this entire passage is found in verse 30. And this is what we'll close on this evening. Verse 30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. All through the Proverbs, wisdom is held forth. Wisdom is the principal thing, writes Solomon. In all you're getting, get wisdom. It's the thing most important to have. And woman is the symbol of wisdom on one hand. A woman that fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs tells us. And so what do we have in the virtuous woman? What makes her what she is is the grace of God. And in the grace of God, she is a woman who fears the Lord. She is a woman who believes the Word of God instead of the lies of the enemy. She is a woman who walks as a help with her husband if she has a husband. And if she is not, she is a woman who walks in a gracious and a humble submission to the, the men that the Lord put in her life. A father, an, an elder in an assembly, various others who may watch over her. Men and women been brought together by the living God. They're to be one. They're to be one There is a glorious one flesh unity that begins at the beginning of Scripture and and, and throughout history the enemy of our souls desires to destroy it. Women, if you are wise, you are women who fear the Lord. You believe Him and you walk according to His Word. And in this, is to be found all that blossoms into the virtuous woman. May God help us as we think these things through in the weeks ahead. It is all in Christ and all of His grace. Let's pray. Father, these passages speak of so many things. We can only scratch the surface. But Lord, what we have seen this evening should speak to us very clearly and very plainly. I pray for our dear sisters here this evening. And I pray, O Holy Father, that they would learn by Thy Spirit and by Thy Word to shun the seductions of the enemy and to bow to Thy Holy Word. And may there be men here worthy of their submission. Father, I pray that you will deal with every husband, every father, and make him sense, make him feel, Lord, his holy responsibility before thee to love, to keep,
to preserve and provide for his most special and unique creation of God. By guiding his home according to thy word. O Father, deal with all of us as men. We are weak and feeble creatures. I pray that thou wouldst help us to do these things to thy great glory and to our wives' eternal good. And may they profit as we read and study from your precious word together. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.